All right. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. Uh, you'll see here that I'm trying something new. Some of you know that I've been know that I've been hosting a podcast called Theory of Indivisibility for a couple of years now. And typically I, I don't go live or do a live video. And also typically I don't do interviews, but this is going to be a preview of season two where I will be doing interviews uh, with, with interesting, knowledgeable people. And I will likely be streaming it live in addition to recording it so I can post it to the to the podcast. So you all are seeing a, a beta test of that and um, also a sneak peek into what season two, uh, the format for season two will be like. So for anyone who chooses to stop by and, and, and take in this content and this information, thank you for being here. Uh, the first thing I want to do is introduce you to my guest, uh, Miss Yolanda Williams. And Yolanda, I'll let you tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me, Sunjata. I really, you know, y'all, you know, I love talking with you because we can just do this all day. Um, I'm Yolanda Williams, the founder of Parents Decolonized. I have a podcast as well as um, a couple of Facebook groups where we just discuss colonization, how it's impacted the Black family. And um, I teach parents how to become more conscious, intentional every day. Awesome. So glad that you joined me on the fly here to talk about this topic. And um, for those of you who don't know me, um, you know, to my friends and family, I'm Sunjata. Professionally, I'm Dr. Sunjata Sunjata. And I'm a father, a friend, a partner, an entrepreneur, and an anti-oppression educator, content creator, and organizer. So this is going to be episode 24 of the Theory of Indivisibility podcast. Uh, and at the end of this recording, I'll share with you all how you could, you know, go back and listen to other shows if it's interesting to you. So to start things off, I want to first ground both Yolanda and I and all of you in the communication framework that's going to be guiding us this, for this, uh, this, pot, this show. And it's called Authentic Dialogue. And I'm an Authentic Dialogue facilitator. It's one of my anti-oppression tools. And just a quick, really quick uh, way to orient you is by comparing dialogue versus debate. So I have a statement I'm going to share that, that does a good job of kind of orienting you in that way. So authentic dialogue is collaborative. Two or more sides work together towards common understanding. Debate is oppositional. Two sides oppose each other and attempt to prove each other wrong. So what you're going to witness this evening or during this recording is Yolanda and I having an authentic dialogue about this very, very sensitive topic, okay? And before we get started, we first want to, you know, root ourselves in an authentic dialogue, but also in our intentions. And I'm gonna start by sharing with you all that my intentions for this, this dialogue that we're about to have um, is just to bring a broader, um, a broader conversation as well as a systems thinking lens to the COVID-19 pandemic and the way that people, the various ways that is being talked about at different levels of society. And I will backtrack really quick because I, I didn't even say the title you know, of this show. And it's, it's the title of this episode is COVID-19 pandemic, the people, the politics and the systems. So with that being said, Yolanda, could you share your intentions? Yeah, my intention um, talking with you about this today is to really be 
open to hearing an alternative side if there is one and also to be uh, vulnerable about my, my take as far as um, speaking about this openly because I really don't talk about this a lot on the Parents Decolonized page. It just brings up so many um, emotions for people. Mm -hmm. And um, I try to keep that off of the page for that reason because it becomes really disruptive. So my intention is to be more open in this conversation with you and, um, and hopefully expand some minds. Awesome. Thank you. And, you know, I tend to lean into talking about sensitive topics and polarizing topics because of the work that I do with authentic dialogue. And I'm such a believer because I've seen it work uh, for many years now. I've seen uh, I've seen it work where authentic dialogue can help people navigate really, really hard conversations. Uh, really, really polarizing topics, and it puts them in a space where they can have that conversation within the context of an authentic dialogue and actually listen to one another to understand and find common ground. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to agree, but it does mean that both parties or all parties involved in the authentic dialogue will leave that session uh, with a deeper understanding and more tolerance and more empathy for the various um, perspectives. And it's not a, an environment where they're clashing and going at each other. And I've done this so many times over the last five years that I'm pretty confident that no matter what the topic is, uh, I can help people navigate it in a way that's um, uh, productive and enriching as, a, as opposed to something that's going to be you know, um, divisive and create negative energy. So with that said, how we got here for this conversation is because, you know, if you follow me on Facebook, you know that I've posted several things about my viewpoint on the pandemic and the reporting on the pandemic and the various ways that I'm navigating the pandemic personally. And, um, you know, a lot of my views and a lot of things that I, I think about and the way I share things are counter to what I like to call the dominant narrative. And I feel like this platform gives me an opportunity to really expand on those ideas, but also have someone else with me who can bring their perspectives and question me, challenge me, and we can just really get into an authentic conversation, but more importantly, you know, go deeper in terms of trying to get a deeper understanding for you know, various perspectives. So I was thinking about doing a show, a podcast episode on my, on my platform where I just talk, but I thought it would be better to do it this way uh, I thought that it may be engaging for more people and that we could, you know, I could learn more, other people could learn more. And, you know, also more importantly, we could model authentic dialogue in a way to have this very sensitive conversation um, in a way, again, that's that's safe and productive. So before we get into the meat of the, the conversation, I first want to, um, you know, acknowledge that a lot of people have 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 experienced a lot of loss. Um, since this pandemic has begun. And, um, you know, I want to acknowledge those losses. I want to acknowledge, acknowledge uh, those of you who are grieving losses, whether it be losses to, you know, friends or family members, or whether it be losses in, you know, jobs or, you know, financial assets or homes or all the various ways of this, or, you know, or businesses and all the various ways that this, this pandemic has impacted real people in real time. And, you know, I just want to say that I'm very empathetic towards that. 
Um, and I just want to also say for anyone who finds this topic to be uh, a stressful topic, um, that you know this is a trigger warning. That uh, I'm going to be very um, direct and candid around about how I feel about uh, the various things that are that are happening. Um, you know, around the various conversations that are happening around this topic. Um, so, you know, if you feel like, you know, hearing um, perspectives that may not always align with where you are, may be too triggering for you, I would advise you not to watch because my goal isn't to trigger or cause harm, but my goal is to, you know, really have a, to really be able to interrogate and have to interrogate the various perspectives um, and, and have a very broad reaching, you know, dialogue and a very honest, authentic one. Um, and I don't want that to, you know, trigger anyone. So I wanted to give that warning and also acknowledge that I do care, um, you know, about everyone's losses. I do respect, you know, the fact that we all have, you know, we're going to have different perspectives and varying perspectives. And my goal is not to argue or make anyone wrong in anything that I say. So I wanted to make sure I, I said that first. So uh, with that being said, Yolanda, are you ready to jump into the meat of the content or do you have anything you wanna say to, to level set? No, I think you're great. Let's, let's, let's do this. Awesome. All right, so the first thing that I wanna talk about is the people, okay? And you know, I wanna be really honest with you all about you know, the impact of the people. And what I mean by the people is the people in my life, uh, which are family, friends, and the people who I'm connected to on social media. Um, and what, what's been happening in, in terms of people for me is that um, I've been seeing, well, I'll start with my family and friends. Since the pandemic has started, I've received messages from family and friends, whether they be text messages, phone calls, et cetera, you know, encouraging me to wear a mask, stay inside at various stages of this thing, right? Wear a mask, stay inside. And then when the vaccines came out, I've received texts and phone calls about encouraging me to get vaccinated. And uh, I'm someone who uh, I practice holistic health. I've been practicing holistic health for about 16 years now. And vaccinations and uh, prescription drugs and things like that are not a part of my life. So when this came about and it put all that into the spotlight, um, it's, it, it's very, it's been very heavy for me to, uh, to hold my, my lifestyle and my position because, um, what I like to call the dominant narrative, um, states that people should move a certain way and it's, it's and, and behave a certain way or take certain actions and precautions in ways that don't necessarily align with my beliefs around holistic health and well-being. And it's caused a lot of tension in, in a lot of my personal relationships in the last, you know, year and a half. And um, I can I can share that in, in so many ways it has. Um, and then in addition to that, I'm seeing the what I like, what I've coined the vaccine wars. Now that we're in the stage of the vaccine vaccination being available, I'm seeing va the vaccine wars on social media. And um, I'm seeing just a lot of polarization. Um, I'm seeing a lot of polarization. I'm seeing people who are like pro-vaccine that are, you know, posting a lot of what feels like to me coercive uh, messaging around getting vaccinated. I also see a lot of messaging where people are basically saying that people who aren't getting vaccinated, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm seeing names being called like, you know, selfish or dumb or conspiracy theorists. Um, and all these, these, these titles and these labels and these assumptions that um, they're triggering for me, just to be blunt. They've been very triggering for me because um, I don't feel like there's been, again, a broad enough conversation to understand the various reasons why someone like myself specifically, I, because I can only speak for myself, uh, would choose not to get vaccinated during this time. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there, Yolanda, and, and, and allow you to jump in by first asking you, where do you stand on, um, I guess, since we're in the season of vaccines, where do you stand? Are you vaccinated? Uh, and of course, you whatever you don't want to share, you don't have to, but are you vaccinated? And you know, are you, you know, someone who's pro-vaccine and thinks that vaccines should be a standard compulsory thing? Um, yeah, let us know. And, and also any, anything that aligns with what I just said around the family, the friends, social media, any, any thoughts you have on that would be awesome. No problem. Um, I am vaccinated and I waited until uh, June, this past June, to get vaccinated. And um, it was really for, because my my uh, family members who are immunocompromised. And even though I am taking a lot of precautions to um, not be out gallivanting and doing a bunch of stuff that could expose me to COVID, I still want to take an extra step for them. So that's kind of how I think about this whole discussion is collectively what's best for the people around me. I have a, you know, a young daughter. Um, I am a single mom. I can't, you know, if, if I go, what's going to happen with her? So all of, whenever I make these decisions is more than just about like what, what I want. I'm really thinking about the people around me, the people whose lives will be affected if I were to get sick or if I were to die. Um, and I don't know what would happen to me if I got COVID. I can't call if I would be the people, you know, someone who survived, if I didn't want to take that chance. Um, and so I did get the vaccination. However, I do believe that if you are someone, I feel strongly about this, if you, and we, and a lot of black folks do, I have family members who um, are like, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna get vaccinated. I, I'm, I feel strongly about this. And the, my only thing is, can we at least do other things to not spread the virus then? Because it's, I mean, science is science. It does, you know, spread through the vapor, uh, through the mouth and through the nose. And so that's why I'm just like, can you at least wear a mask in order to um, make, in order to, it can't even ensure, it's not 100%, right? Masks are not, are not 100%. In order to lessen the, um, the rate of exposure, the rate of, what is it called? Passing on other people, the fancy name for that, whatever that word is. Um, that's my only big take on it is can what can we do collectively? <clears throat> you know, we have everyone's entitled to their own personal reasons for not wanting to get this vaccine um, and for getting it right. I do think um, as far as taking care of each other and thinking in a more collective way, I, I, I don't see why it's why wearing a mask would be something that people wouldn't want to do. Okay. When you say, well, first of all, I just, I want to say that I, I totally understand and, um, you know, respect, 
you know, how you feel about making that decision for, for you and your family. Um, I'm trying to think of like a, a empathetic question I can ask, but I, I feel like it's something that is just innate for me to understand. I don't, um, you know, have any like qualms or any like really deep, like I don't understand or anything I need to understand deeper um, because I truly, truly do understand, um, you know, why you would, why, you, why you feel that way and why you would make that decision. Um, I guess to lean into the people side of it more, um, let's go there. Do you think it is selfish of people like me who aren't vaccinated? I think it's selfish when you're not vaccinated and you're not social distancing or wearing a mask. There's things you can do if you're not, if you're not willing to get vaccinated, if you don't want to get vaccinated to protect other people. And I feel like if, if, if you're not doing any of those things, I do think it's selfish because it is not considering, especially with, with um, you know, the fact that this damn thing just keeps morphing into something different and something more deadly. Um, this, this new variant is 50% more uh, contagious. And so if you don't want a vaccine, okay, but what else can you do to protect yourself or other people in case you are, um, what do they call it? When you are a carrier, but you don't know. Um, asymptomatic. Yeah, an asymptomatic carrier. And we know that the disease was spread a lot in the beginning by people who are asymptomatic. So being that you, if you're asymptomatic, you won't know what else can you do to protect people if you're unwilling to get a vaccine. If you're not willing to do anything, I do think it's selfish. Okay, so I have a I have a follow up question on that. So <clears throat> the way the way that I hold it is that um, you know it's it's a personal choice, okay. right? And I'm such a firm believer that at the root of like the solutions for a lot of the issues we have we deal with in society, that we should center agency and consent, right? And with agency, um, I feel like on the flip side, that comes a level of um, personal accountability for me setting my own boundaries based on my sensibilities, my concerns, my fears, et cetera. And the way I feel about if I'm someone who is concerned about contracting COVID, um, I feel like it, it would be my responsibility to protect myself versus me pointing the finger and worrying about what other people are doing. Because at the end of the day, I'm the only, I'm the first and foremost person that's responsible for me. Mm-hmm. So the way I look at it as, the way I look at it is that each individual, depending on their sensibilities around this, they have options, whether it be staying in a bubble, whether it be if I leave my house, make sure I'm wearing a mask, or whether it be getting vaccinated to add an extra layer of protection if you feel that that's what's that if that will do that for you. So could you help me understand how someone like myself, who is willing to deal with the consequences of being unvaccinated, how does that impact you or someone else who may have, you know, who has different sensibilities? How is that selfish if you can control how you move to protect yourself? Because I literally never leave the house, which is not a reasonable request of a human being. 
um, I am at risk of contracting COVID. So if I leave the house, even go to my mailbox and someone, you know, it, it was proven that, um, that I could live on paper and it could live on plastic and stuff. And um, if, unless I'm living in a bubble, like you said, and never leaving the house, every time I leave the house, I'm at risk for it. And I'm at risk for passing on to my daughter. And so it's not, to me, it's almost like parenting where I, never, I say parenting is not a, it's not a personal decision, right? We have agency even in parenting. We have agency and, and boundaries even in parenting. But the way I parent impacts everyone else. Because when my daughter leaves my care, who, how I raised her impacts how she moves and looks at this world. And so I just kind of am looking at this as a more, in a more collective way. And in no way I'm telling people to go get vaccinated. Like that is a really personal choice. And especially for Black people, there are really valid fears and valid reasons why, why a lot of Black folks are like, I'm not touching this. You know, I don't know. I don't want to be a part of this um, because of the history of the medical field um, and Black people. So I'm in no way of, you know, telling anyone that you have to get vaccinated. But I do believe um, because of the what I'm teaching, which is uh, decolonizing, and getting, you know, coming home to yourself and understanding ancestral ways of being, I want to live in a place where people care about one another and work collectively to make things better for one another. And the more that, the more that we um, sort of take on that colonial, like, well, individual, individuality, whatever, what is that? <laughs> Individualism, um, rugged individualism, the, the more that we see, I feel like the more, the more that more people resist um, doing something, like I don't know what that something is. I can't call, I can't tell you what to do, right? But doing something to help um, lessen the spread of this thing, the, the more, the louder these fear-based narratives become, it becomes almost like a it's like desperate at this point. And, it, and, and then you get the counter nar narratives that are becoming even more desperate and loud. And it's just a bunch of confusion when all I feel like we have to do is figure out how, how can I contribute to uh, the lessening of spreading this disease? I don't, I don't see why that takes away your agency. Hmm. Okay. So, what I what I can share with you is that um, in this moment, you know, I'm feeling. I'm, I'm I appreciate the fact that you're listening to me, um, and I feel I appreciate the fact that you are holding space for my beliefs and my sensibilities as well. Um, and I can tell you that in having this 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 dialogue with you in this way where we're both listening to one another to understand each other's point of view, that I'm way more willing to get to the point where we can talk about finding some middle ground right. and find a compromise where what's something that we both can do where we both feel like we're safe and we're heard, we're understood, our feelings are validated, but yet we're working towards some type of common solution. And through this dialogue in this short amount of time, I feel like we both created space for that because I was someone very early on 
who even was resistant to wearing a mask. Um, and even now wearing a mask isn't natural to me, but I'm willing to do so for people who I'm in relationship with, who have that boundary or have that request. If they, if I'm going to be in their presence, I don't mind, but I do push back and I do not like being told what to do. I do not like people telling me acting like their way is the only way. And I must be ignorant, stupid, or conspiracy theorist to believe anything other than what they believe. And all that does is create divisiveness among us versus getting into relationship with one another, honoring each other's humanity and honoring each other's point of view and honoring each other's fears and concerns and not invalidating anyone else's fears and concerns just because they're different than yours. And because you didn't do that to me in this moment, I would say, you know what, Yolanda, I don't love wearing masks, but if you and I are going to spend some time together, I will sit six feet apart and wear a mask <laughs> if we still can chop it up at the playground where our kids are playing or at the coffee shop or whatever. I want to do that because the space you held and, and how you validated me and my concerns as well. And one of the things you said that I appreciate as well is that, especially when it comes to people of African descent who are descendants of enslaved Africans in America and across the diaspora, reasonable doubt is always reasonable. Always. It's always reasonable. And so I, I may get into it. Well, you brought it up. You know, you mentioned colonization. And one of the things that whenever I see people really hammering for people to go get vaccinated is that, um, and, and it, it feels like what colonizers do and what they've done throughout history is they invalidate other people's, you know, ways of being, their culture, their medicine, their practices, et cetera, that have worked for them for, for have worked for them based on their ideals of what works, et cetera, which they should have agency to accept, you know, all those things and tell them that they're wrong and they need to adopt the colonizers beliefs and practices. And I feel like anyone who is blindly, who is obsessively and obsessively trying to coerce people to get vaccinated, it feels very coercive. And that feels like it's rooted in power over and control, mm -hmm. just like the methods of colonizers. So that came up for me as well. Um, so something else I want to, I want to share that you know, we talked about dominant narratives. We talked about fear-based narratives very briefly, and we'll get more deeper into that in the politics, which we're going to transition to shortly. I want to share that, you know, some, some things that I don't hear being shared. Um, well, that, I'll just say on the people level, something on the people level. Uh, my my co-parent, my, my ex-wife is a registered nurse, and she's not vaccinated. And she works in a hospital. And not only is she unvaccinated, um, well, the reason why she's not is because she says that there's not enough data on the outcomes and the efficacy of the vaccine. And I feel like that's a valid, a very valid concern. She also shared with me that there are doctors in her hospital who aren't vaccinated, who also don't believe that people should get vaccinated because they believe that you know, the, they believe that the, our immune system, um, you know, learns how to fight disease and viruses, et cetera, by being exposed to them. And that's how our immune systems get stronger versus, um, you know, what vaccinations do. So I say that and I share that, 
you know, just to, again, create a broader conversation around the various ways that people are showing up. Because a lot of times people who are really the people who are really pounding, you know, people on getting vaccinated or else, um, I feel like, you know, they use, you know, medical professionals and, and people like that and leveraging, you know, these so-called experts and saying their way is the way. But there are also medical professionals and people who are still torn on these things. It's a very complex thing. So really, all I want to do is just make room for complexity. And I'm, you know, I'm asking everyone to, that hears my voice to just consider, you know, the all the complexities and all the reasons and just, you know, hold space for, you know, letting people make their, their choice and, um, you know, and not trying to guilt people and shame people, because that's the thing that I reject and I will push back against uh, is the guilt and the shame and the blame when this is really something that's really complex. You have anything to add, Yolanda? Yeah, I think. And I can't, I'm not making excuses for anyone who is using shaming or blaming tactics. I believe what, what happens is there's so people are a sick of dealing with this. I mean, everyone, even people who are not vaccinated, everybody's tired of dealing with this. Um, life, as you mentioned it uh, in the beginning, lives have been taken, disrupted businesses, all these things. So there's so much emotion um around it and so being able to like have these kind of dialogues and and just kind of take take the emotion out of it is really vital to being able to even find common ground because there's so it's so it's such an emotional topic based on how the suffering some people have gone through because of it you know and even me i find myself getting angry sometimes and having to pull back some of that judgment because i'm I miss having a life. <laughs> I miss having, you know, visiting my friends. I want to travel and I don't feel safe doing that right now with a kid who won't keep a mask on. And even if she did keep a mask on, every time we've traveled, she has come back um, really sick. So I, I feel like I'm trapped um, right now and I don't see an end in sight. And, that and that's kind of what, that's what frustrates me. And that's where that emotion comes from. But we still are only responsible for ourselves and how we interact and connect with people and communicate with people. And just like I tell people all the time on Parents Decolonize, shame and guilt and blame are not how we connect, are not how you change people, how you connect with them, how you get them to even open up to want to talk to you. Uh, none of that works. And so um, I appreciate us being able to have this conversation. And I really hope that if I log on to this live on my Facebook page, there's not a lot of fuckery in the comments because I'm not gonna allow it. Um, if you're not open to having this conversation without emotion and without shame and blame and calling people names on, you know, on my page, especially on that thread, then you gotta go. <laughs> Your comment has to go. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you making space for that. And I think that's a good time to transition to the politics because I think that, um, you know, our political, you know, climate uh, that we we live in is responsible for a lot of Gosh. the response, the shame, the blame, the polarization. Um, so I want to point out something that caught my eye recently in the in the world of politics, and I'm gonna tie the news, the news media, into that because they're the reporters of what's going on in the political world. I don't I don't usually watch the news. I was at a partner 
a partner's house and she had on the news, she had on MSNBC last week. And um, this reporter, don't even know her name, <clears throat> but the reporter was going on and on and on about the statistics of vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. um, and the results of like unvaccinated people are the ones who are filling up the hospitals. And um, they're the ones who are dying now more so than, than not. And she went on to call um, the unvaccinated people um, like a death cult, like people who don't want to get unvaccinated. She literally said, you know, let's call it what it is. It's a death cult. People who are out here who are pushing the idea of not getting vaccinated, um, you know, there is basically creating an environment of a death cult. She, they also showed various stories. They kept bringing in stories of unvaccinated people who died. Um, then they talked, they gave stories about Trump supporters and, um, you know, talking about how conservative Republicans are the primary ones who are pushing um, the idea of, you know, not getting vaccinated. And Trump supporters are the primary people in the, in the red states are the primary place where people aren't getting vaccinated or don't see the value in it. And it's taking lives, it's impacting, you know, um, it's impacting people and et cetera, et cetera. It was extremely, oh, it was polarizing. It was extremely polarizing. It felt so heavy for me to take it in. Um, it felt heavy and it felt like a lot of shame and blame and finger pointing. And a, it was like a heavy guilt trip. And for me, in my mind, I'm like, wow, I would think that this woman is getting paid by the vaccine, the vaccine companies. Um, I understand that, you know, in terms of the, the, the I guess, um, Democratic leaning news outlets versus the Republican leaning news outlets, how they have this like, you know, battle, but that riles up their bases. And what does that do to us as people? It pulls us apart. It keeps us divided. and you know, just, just listening to all of that and watching all of that, it felt unbalanced and it felt unfair to me because some of the, the things that were going on in my mind were that one, um, you know, just looking at the, you know what? Uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I was going to think if I'll let you in first, but I'll, I'll go ahead and say this, <clears throat> you know, the numbers of people dying. It just felt so unfair for them to continue to show the stories of people who are unvaccinated who are dying. If you're not showing stories or talking about people who are unvaccinated that aren't dying or who are asymptomatic, it's like it leans the story, the news reporting of this leans heavy into the worst outcomes. And the reality is, the whole time, last time I looked at statistics, most people that get COVID don't die. Most people that get it don't end up in the hospital. And a large percentage of people are asymptomatic. But it's like that balance isn't being shown. And it's like based on what I watched and based on the energy that I got from the latest phone call from my dad and my grandmother is like unvaccination equals death. Like they are so afraid. Like my and I know my 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 family, my dad and, and, and my grandmother and his side of family, they lean heavy into watching MSNBC, CNBC, CNN. So I could see how watching that would pull on their heartstrings to make them feel like they need to call me and really push me to get vaccinated because they care about me. They don't want me to die. But they're in my mind, I'm like, 
but there's a flip side to those numbers. So I just wanted to share that in terms of what I saw very briefly when I peeked into the pol political side and how the news media is covering the things that are happening and you know, get your perspective on that. Yeah, there's the one thing that, that I'm noticing that really infuriates me is that this became some sort of a partisan issue. Like how did a how did a pandemic become a partisan issue? And it has created this even bigger, because it was already big, this is even bigger uh, rift between people. And while I do believe that some of the stuff that I read, especially on like the governor, the Arkansas governor's page, whenever he's uh, posting about COVID rates, and I'm reading some of the comments from mostly Republican conservative constituents, I do get infuriated when I read them because it triggers me because it's also, these are the same people who deny my humanity on a daily basis. And so I, for, from them, mostly a mostly white conservative base, it feels different than it coming from you. And I, and I believe that it, it's just because of the history, you know, of this country and um, of even recent history, you know, recent events that, that have happened. And when this first happened um, under uh, 45, it just, it was never, it has never been um, reported in a very fair, even safe way, in my opinion. Sorry, y'all, I've got a kid. So, so you know, I just, I, I do believe especially as if we, if we really look back at the media, how it portrays things that are really controversial, how, um, how biased it is, who owns the media? You know, so many major brands and corporations are now owners of, of media. Wall Street Journal is now owned by Jeff Bezos. I don't know if y'all know that. So mm -hmm. like a lot of the stuff that comes out of these places doesn't matter if it's left or right leaning is biased, is does not give all the facts. And I understand that for a lot of us, that's how we receive our news, but we have to be willing to, to like go out and seek out additional information and not just rely on these really left-leaning or really right-leaning. There, there are unbiased news, um, news corporations, but they're just not very loud. The ones on TV, they're being paid by large corporate, like there's somebody who owns that. A person who has a stake in something, you know, yeah. um, and so I think really understanding that, and, and when you start to talk like that, people they start they do start to call you paranoid. But there's there's charts that show you who owns all the media outlets, and they are private owners. These are not, you know, our media is 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 privatized. They're private owners, and they all have a stake in how the news is portrayed, especially right now with the pandemic. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I coined the news stations as promoting fear based dominant narratives, because unfortunately, the way that we're wired, we're wired to like take action based on fear mm -hmm. and they're 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 profit, you know, based organizations. So they have to make a profit and they have to get viewers. So it's their job to to rile us up. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's so unfortunate. You know, and now we're talking about the intersections of capitalism and how it plays into all this. And you, you know, you touched on it, like people own these, these news outlets and they need to make money and they get money. They make money by having our eyes and our ears tuned in 24 seven. 
And how do they do that to the highest degree? By making us fearful of something, somebody, the other. And, you know, that's for me, this is the main reason I don't, I don't consume it because I don't want my, my feelings of people to be uh, tainted in that way. Um, you know, I choose to move through the world and, and interact with human beings and, and, and judge people by the content of their character based on those interactions. And uh, I don't want to fall victim to storylines and, 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 and fear-based dominant narratives. And when I say dominant narratives, I literally mean the narratives, the top-down narratives that don't provide the proper, the proper level of context and nuance to, to encompass com complexity. Um, you know, everything isn't polarizing. Everything isn't black and white. We live in a very complex world. And, you know, so that's that's really important. But I could tell you that when I did tune in, it really, again, it, it really shined a light on why I was getting those phone calls from the family members who I know watch those things. And, and I really understood why they're so fearful for my life. And but the only thing I could think about was like, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, when the numbers were spiking, um, a lot of the people who were getting it were asymptomatic. So it's like, how did we get from this range of the ways that it can impact people to automatically thinking death, death is going to be the outcome. And, you know, and I, I do understand, and I know there may be some people watching like, well, what about all the hospital beds and all those things filling up? Um, that's real, you know, that's data, that's, that's happening in real time, in real life. There are things that are happening that are impacting real people in their lives. And I agree. And that, that brings me to, um, you know, wanting to, wanting to, you know, transition to a broader conversation around the systems context of all of this. Mm -hmm. um, so, Yolanda, do you have anything around the politics of this before we transition? Any more about the politics? I mean, I just want everyone to, if we are, to, and this is going to go into systems, but if we are going to, um, with anything, whether it's a pandemic or colonization or uh, white supremacy, all of these things. If we if we are to sort of divest from from these uh, narratives, we have to be willing to look underneath the surface and really do our do our research. And of course, I'm not talking about research from you know going to YouTube and just watching some randos video. Like there, like I, I said, there's unbiased news outlets out there. There are people who are talking about this in, in very factual ways. You gotta be willing to seek that out and speak about it without shame and blame on, on the people who may not, who may still see that data and be like, well, I'm still choosing. This is still my choice, you know? Um, and I think having this conversation and showing people how to do that is, is, is a big deal. Absolutely. So um, <clears throat> to start us out, I want to, into talking about the systems, I want to read something I posted on Facebook um, that kind of spoke to encompassing everything that we're talking about that I think will be a good transition. Um, and this was, as often, it was in response to someone I saw on Facebook who had a very, um, again, very just coercive, judgmental post about people getting vaccinated. And I'm sorry, unvaccinated people. And then just saying, just go get vaccinated. Um, you know, don't ask, you know, just like basically put down whatever, whatever you're thinking and feeling or whatever your sensibilities are, don't matter. Just go get vaccinated. So I wrote a post and I titled it, go get vaccinated. And this is what I said. I'm wary of fear-based dominant narratives. 
I'm wary of standardized one-size-fits-all solutions. I'm wary of heavy, mar heavy marketing of solutions that don't also make space for, amplify, and validate alternatives because there are always alternatives. Every time I turn on the TV and every time I hop on social media, I'm met with an onslaught of marketing of the dominant narrative to go get vaccinated. I'm wary of fear-based dominant narratives that polarize and divide people into camps of us versus them. Narratives that embolden people to seek control, seek to control others through guilt, shame, and or mockery. I've seen these patterns before. Every oppressive social system that I studied, the evolutionary origins of during the creation of my theory of indivisibility podcast evolved in similar ways. Colonization, systemic racism, segregation, mass incarceration, patriarchy, standardized education, to name a few, were all considered solutions that were embedded into society through fear-based dominant narratives. Now we know that there are alternatives to each. I'm wary. So how did that land with you when you read it, Yolanda? I mean, it, it lend us the truth. Uh, you know, no matter how I feel about uh, vaccines or uh, people not wearing a mask, that is the truth. <laughs> you know, all of these systems, they're only able to live through fear-based narratives. The reason that we're still fighting the, you know, getting into this good trouble around um, racial justice is because of fear-based fear narratives that are still being spread to this day at this moment. You know, mm -hmm. being told that um, uh, the, the 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 white supremacy delusion, all, all of that stuff is all has an undercurrent of fear, control, and power over. That's the truth. So um, I think it's more about like I don't think me. What am I trying to say? I don't think me and how I feel about people getting vaccinated or wearing a mask it doesn't dissolve the fact that you are absolutely right in that. And, and, and it, when you say it that way, I can completely understand why you would be wary of, as someone who like studies these systems, really like you're looking at them all day and you're studying, you have a whole theory and everything. I could see why there's a lot of, uh, why, why you're wary because you see a pattern and the pattern is, is never, uh, has always resulted in someone being severely oppressed. Yes. All right. So now we're in my wheelhouse. <laughs> we're in the system's wheelhouse. And I have some perspectives that I don't hear anyone talking about that I would like for us to talk about. So, um, you know, I appreciate you acknowledging that. And, you know, for those of you who may be watching this for the first time, um, you know, I studied systems thinking in my doctoral studies and went on to further self-study systems thinking. Uh, once I learned learn about systems thinking and systems theory as a tool, a language um, for understanding the underlying patterns and the underlying um, root causes of issues. Um, you know, and it can be applied across several different contexts. Systems thinking can be applied to solve problems across several different contexts, but systems thinking causes us to see the whole and the interrelationships and the interconnectivity of all things and in, in, in the universe, basically. And it just, it makes sense. But here's the interesting thing about systems thinking that I want you all to know. Systems thinking as a theory and as a concept and as a tool and as a language, it literally helps those people who've been raised and educated in ways that I have, 
understand things that indigenous cultures and indigenous people who have never been touched by who either, who who have either never or those who have who have had minimal contact with colonization and religion um and you know westernized you know basically all things that fall under colonized societies including religion capitalism etc cetera, etc cetera, patriarchy etc these are all things that they know intuitively okay yolanda will be right back so these are all things that they know and understand intuitively. It's there is second nature to them to understand the interconnection uh, and the interrelationships amongst nature and human beings and all living things in, in, in the universe, in uh, the ways that they impact each other, in the ways that we have to be mindful of understanding how these interrelationships and interconnections um, play off each other in the outcomes if we don't honor those, those things. System thinking is basically, again, it's helping those who've been educated in this colonized world understand what they know intuitively. I hope that makes sense. I, I need to set that context because this isn't some something that people, you know, miraculously made up. You know, this is something that is is innate to human nature if it hasn't been indoctrinated out of us. So I want to I want to share that. So now looking at and understanding the various levels of systems in society. One of the biggest issues that I have with the way that this whole pandemic has been handled in all the forms of media and all the ways that I've had family and friends approach me about how I hold this um, is there seems to be this really, really heavy leaning idea that this whole pandemic is my fault, your fault, or someone else's fault. We're, we're looking for someone to blame. And more often than not, we're looking at other people. We're looking at our friends, our family, our neighbors. We're saying y'all are to blame for us not being able to travel. Y'all are to blame for people who are dying at a crazy clip. Y'all are to blame for hospitals being filled up because you're not vaccinated or you won't stay home or you won't wear a mask. It's been all in the news, in social media, people pointing the finger at each other. And here's, here's the issue that I have, and here's the thing that I haven't heard people talking about, and I wonder why. So based on the data that has come out, we know that the people who are most at harm and at risk, and the people who have lost their lives or been hospitalized the most, are people who have pre-existing conditions. People who are immunocompromised um, and have pre-existing health conditions are the people that have been impacted the most. Unfortunately, that tends to be people who are impoverished. And unfortunately, the majority of people who are impoverished happen to be people who people of African descent um, or other, you know, indigenous people, et cetera. Right. And if we understand that usually, generally speaking, in the most in, in most cases, those people are immunocompromised and et cetera, et cetera, that I just said, because of environmental conditions because of all the, the side effects of poverty, right? They don't have access to healthy foods, clean, you know, living conditions and environments. Um, you know, they may, they're overworked where they don't have the opportunity to create space to, you know, for, for, for the proper diet and exercise that's needed to have, you know, a healthy immune system and all these various things. Also just the, um, you know, the, 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 the evolutionary, impacts of 
coming from, you know, being enslaved, our ancestors being enslaved and, and all those various things that have been passed down. And what I don't, the, the, the question I have and the thing that I don't understand and what really, really, really bothers me is I don't see any accountability or, or even any conversation being had around, well, if we know those are the causes for people being most likely to be victimized by COVID, why are we not interrogating the systems that are currently in place that can have the largest impact on those things, like our food systems, like our employers? Why don't I see the news media, my family and my friends, looking and pointing a finger to say, well, supermarkets, farmers, government entities who pay you know, subsidies to various farmers, why aren't they producing nothing but organic food if we know that organic food will give all of us a better chance to have a, a healthier, you know, clean, to eat clean and, 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 and avoid all those food-based diseases like diabetes, heart, you know, heart disease, high blood pressure, cholesterol, a lot of the things that people end up dying from, you know, from COVID. Also, if we know that, you know, people do better if they can exercise regularly, why aren't we holding employers, corporations, et cetera, or why are the government or the people who are in power holding them accountable to making sure people have the proper work-life balance? Why, why aren't we holding them accountable to, you know, putting practices in place to ensure that people's mental health is being addressed? You know, I see like all these other levels in society that are getting a pass from all the finger pointers out there and from the news media outlets, but the blame is on the people. And these systems that I'm mentioning have way more power than people, than we do as individuals to make a change and an impact in these ways. So that's been like one of my biggest sticking points that I don't understand where people are saying like, I'm the blame and I'm being selfish, but we have billion dollar corporations and powerful government entities who can pay out all these millions and billions of dollars to keep businesses afloat but they're not using that those money and that resources to impact the systems to give all of us a better chance to live a lifestyle that would make us generally speaking would make us more resistant to something like covid coming onto the scene because it's a natural thing no one we didn't create it it's something that's natural it's like a natural disaster so i'll stop there yolanda and see what you have to say about that i mean listen we both know why okay that's another part of the system is the um, indoctrination that we receive from parenting, from education that does not um, allow us or teach us how to question the system, right? It, this is why I'm saying parenting is not personal <laughs> because it is very political for this reason that you're speaking about. If parents and education were um, advocated for children to be children, be curious, ask questions, challenge the status quo, then we would have adults who would do the same thing and be willing to um, divest <clears throat> from these systems and dismantle them and think of new ways. But because the majority of people have been told to sit down and shut up the rest of the most of their lives, that's what they do. And they just are basically following directions. Do this for your safety. The government says to do it, so you should do it right? Not considering the history of, I mean, things that were, slave, slavery was legal, right? Like 
all these things that were really horrible things were legal and the government was the cause of it. So I don't blame a lot of people for having reservations and being wary of the government and, and the narrative that's being put out there from people who are being paid, basically. If we, if y'all, if, if you, if you don't think that media people are being, people at the top are not being paid to push a narrative, then you are deluding yourselves. All these, there's, there's some 1% of right now making money off of this, vac this vaccine. So we really have to be willing to investigate how these systems work to keep all of us, like the blinders on everyone's eyes, to keep us in the dark, to keep us from speaking out, to keep us from creating boundaries around our agency because that's what they're there for we if if they didn't if if the systems are working exactly how they were how they were designed to work and we can see that every day in the fact that most people are just walking around on autopilot and not conscious of the way that this country and this world for that matter really works it's the money right so at the at the end of the day all you got to do is follow the money. And once you start following the money, everything else falls underneath that. Because, um, because you know, racial oppression, um, cl like class warfare, all this, the carceral state, there's somebody making money off of all of that. And then there's us down here fighting for scraps, fighting to matter, fighting for, you know, all these what it feels like our lives when really there's a there's some people who are controlling a lot who have the power to say okay well i have billions of dollars i can wipe out hunger they choose not to they choose to instead fly up to space in their space penises and not pay not pay taxes and all this other stuff and there that those choices impact us and they keep us fighting amongst each other. So this is, you know, meeting you is the reason why I started looking further into systems. I really hadn't before. But when you start to really consider that everything that's happening, um, you know, COVID is natural. It came from animals. Like, you know, a bunch of animals in nature have some form of coronavirus mm -hmm. in them, um, especially like bats and stuff. And so this is not something that, you know, people, are, that's another narrative that's out there that this was created in a lab. And it's like, Okay, they've they've created some stuff in the lab, but this is the it's called COVID nineteen because it is the nineteenth version of coronavirus, y'all. Okay, and this is why I'm saying folks need to do their research because they're willing to believe, um, and just take things at face value, and not even look at the fact that um, what they're being fed may not be the whole truth. I believe it's the partial truth. But if you don't, if you only have a part of something and you don't understand the rest, then how can you be really informed? You can't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you said so much. And the the key sticky point for me and what you said is that, you know, recognizing that someone is making money, you know, off of the vaccine. And no matter what the disaster is, people Always. get paid war oh my gosh hurricanes tornadoes when things get destroyed and devastated someone is about to get someone in the one percent is about to become make become exponentially more wealthy can i just, and, i'm sorry I just, i'm gonna send you this graphic and it shows that during the afghan war 
how many people, how, how the stocks went up, how certain stocks went up and people became billionaires from the Afghan war. Right. And, and also the thing that, you know, really stood out to me and what you were sharing was that I think, it, and it breaks my heart is the divisiveness. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. I gave an example of other systems that we could be interrogating. We could be, you know, asking questions, even if it's not shame or blame, we could, there could be a level of accountability, right? Because I don't think they're to blame either because they're victims of the same system, but there could be accountability that I don't see them. I don't see them being held accountable at all. I don't see food producers who are putting junk in our food and giving us processed food that is unhealthy, that's filled with a bunch of fillers, et cetera, that's destroying our ecosystem and biodiversity and the soil quality because they're dumping all these chemicals to mass produce things for profit versus creating organic food that is better for the environment and better for people. That should be standard. So if you're willing to standardize vaccines, why aren't you willing to standardize that? If you're willing to standardize vaccines, why aren't you willing to standardize everyone having a day or two to go work out and get their miles in, their mental health, you know, protocols in? Why are people, why do people have to work 80 hours a week just to survive and maintain? Why is that the norm? Why do we glorify the hustle and the grind and overworking? But we don't glorify giving people space to actually breathe and be healthy physically because we know that that helps boost our immune system and people with good immune systems, not only physical health, but mental health boost the immune system. Those people are more resilient to viruses. That's science as well. You know, because a lot of people, vaccines, that's science, you know, everyone's get, but it's like, there's other things. There are alternatives to having a healthy immune system. Right. So Again, that's that's one of my biggest, biggest areas of, of, of misunderstanding or, or pet peeves. And I'm like, yo, why aren't y'all talking about that for my friends on social media, for the for the news media people? Like, do y'all see how just them forcing us to get emotional over the outcomes of this and then having us point the finger at each other? Yes. Like that doesn't serve us. That doesn't serve us at all. And again, it keeps our attention away from. That's it the power structures. So we don't hold them accountable. And if we don't hold them accountable, then guess what they keep to get, they keep, they get to keep doing making a ton of money. So I don't know anyone's watching this. I want to hear your comments on that. Um, Any questions you think I'm wrong? No, or I just hope it broadens perspectives. I just hope it broadens perspectives. If nothing else. No, it's huge because I mean, if we're looking, there's been really uh, a lot of reports that came out recently around like the cost of living and how pretty much no state in this in this um, country um, it is can live off of the state's minimum wage. Not one state in this country can people live off that state's minimum wage, right? So, you know, in California where I where I'm from, you need in order to like have um, an apartment, you need to be making like sixty thousand minimum. Mm-hmm. For like a one, one bedroom apartment out there. Don't have kids though, because sixty thousand isn't going very far. Right. And so, if we, if like you said, Joe Biden has the power to say, I can increase the federal minimum wage to twenty dollars an hour. Why hasn't <laughs> it been done? That would save families. He has the power to say, 
well, let me let me figure out some kind of childcare mandate. So so parents don't have to go back to work and expose themselves and can figure out like how how can the country help take care of these kids? Because that's a really big thing. Parents are really have been negatively impacted by this pandemic, um, especially when everybody's like, well, let's all go back to work. Well, wh where are the kids going to go? Because at that time, the kids were still mandated to stay home. So it really impacted parents when there is no structure, no support from the country that claims to care about them mm -hmm. to be able to help take care of them. And you look at some of these other countries, um, they have support. A, a lot of these European countries, they, will, they actually pay parents to stay home. Mm -hmm. and give them you know a year or so off of work mm -hmm. we are the we're i think we're the only one of two developed developed <laughs> i don't even know what that means anymore countries that um yeah. that doesn't have like uh, uh real paternal care paternal care and that kind of stuff and so yeah we have to be willing to investigate these systems and start looking at them because like like Sunjata said there that's where the power is that's where things need to change systemically change we can't change anything down here pointing fingers nothing is going to change it's just us it's just more pointing fingers but but systemically they have the power and they won't they won't do it because they want to continue to get rich so we do have to start speaking out about this yes and i want to give people you know some tools um before we close out and for how, what helps inform my understanding and why, how I'm able to like think of it from the different levels uh, within our systems, um, because systems thinkers have something called systems archetypes. And systems archetypes are reoccurring patterns of behavior that give insights into the structures that drive systems. And they offer a way of deciphering systems dynamics across a diversity of disciplines, scenarios, and contexts. You could think of these archetypes as like storylines of systems in the world. So just how like in the Hollywood movie, you know, you see a the same formula for like romantic comedies or thrillers, you know, within systems archetypes, you know, it helps systems thinkers see behaviors and flows within the same patterns because in nature, everything is circular. Everything is reoccurring. There's reoccurring patterns in nature, including human behavior including human social systems, everything is a pattern. So systems thinkers have given names to these archetypes. And one of the archetypes is called shifting the burden. And I'm pointing these out um, and I'll include links to this in the show notes for those of you listening to the podcast and also in the, uh, the comments for Facebook. There's an article that talks about this. And if you follow the, um, the resource for that article to take you to a bunch of different articles for people who wanna beef up their knowledge on systems thinking. Um, and I want to go back to the idea of, you know, vaccines being the way to lessen the burden on the healthcare system, because I know a lot of people with very good intentions, you know, they feel like, you know, but what about our healthcare workers who are being bombarded and, you know, there's not enough beds and all these things. And it's like, we have to, we have to be in triage mode, right? We have to be in triage mode soon. Jada, I understand you're talking about these other systems and what they should do, but what about right now? And my thing is, I understand that we have some very pressing things right now, but the fact of the matter is if we don't redesign, I'm sorry, if we don't create new systems, 
we're going to keep having the same issue over and over and over again. That's a, um, a, a archetype called fixes that fix back. And I'm going to give you both of these archetypes. So the first one is shifting the burden. And I feel like this is what happens within our capitalist society. And now the burden, because of everything, I'm sorry, because of everything I mentioned about those systems who aren't being addressed, they're shifting the burden to us as people because we're, we, we're not holding the, the, the people in the, that are, have the power to impact our economy and our food systems um, and, and our job you know, conditions and all those things. They're shifting the burden to us as the individual masses as well as now is falling on the hospitals. So the shifting the burden um, archetype is where good intentions often lead to worse outcomes unless the system is understood. If everything is interconnected and we lived on a closed ecosystem, then when you make one decision, the burden of delivering that resource is shifted to another part of the system. So there's been decisions that have been made, y'all, years ago that are impacting what is happening right now. It's not about the individual decisions that we're making right now that's going to really put a dent in what we are experiencing right now with this natural disaster called COVID-19. We are, we were like, our society was, was literally, uh, was like a, a hotbed. It's like a, like something like COVID-19, we were just like waiting for it. And as soon as it hit, this bomb was going to go off. It was inevitable because of the conditions that had already been created because the burden had been shifted for so long. And the, and the, um, you know, in terms of the, the way the systems work, if you don't understand how systems work, the burden had been shifted so long that this was inevitable to happen. This, it was inevitable that something like this was going to happen. So the beds that are being filled up and the hospitals that are being overrun, it's not our fault as individuals who are dealing with the complexities and all the things that Yolanda and I spoke about in the first 30 minutes to an hour. We have the right to be, to be wary. We have the right to get vaccinated. We have the right to not get vaccinated. We have the right to you know, be wary or cautious or want to wait to see what happens. Like all those things that we in the masses are navigating it's all fair game. It's all fair game because the burden has been shifted to us based on decisions that were made years ago when these systems were put into place. Now, <clears throat> the other thing is fixes that fix back. So the way this archetype works is that the easy way out often leads back into the problem. So when we try to solve a problem with the same thinking that got us there, we apply quick fixes that only seek to address symptoms rather than the root cause of the situation, In quotes. That's the way it is explained at the resource I'm going to share with you all. Fixes that fix back. Problems, quick fix, fixes that lead right back into the problem. Unfortunately, if we don't address the underlying root causes of these issues, if we don't address rearranging our systems, our social, economic, and political systems, we are going to continue to have problems like this. And it's not your fault, my fault, your neighbor, your brother, your cousin. It's none of our fault. However, I believe that we can take steps if we get educated to start making different decisions that can improve conditions for the younger people in our lives. So Yolanda, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, so when you when you said um, the fixes, what, what was that again? How do you say it? Fixes that fix back. Fixes that fix back. It made me think about our political system mm -hmm. and voting. 
And as many people are seeing to this day, right now, they're feeling kind of disenchanted with, you know, this, uh, with, with, with what's going on with the country right now. And it feels like more of the same. And it's because it is, and it will always be. Um, I, I am a proponent of doing things collectively, um, which, is, which is why I still vote, which is why I went and, and got vaccinated because I wanted to protect those around me. However, I'm under no delusions that voting will not change anything in this country. Um, I don't care who's in office. The, the, it, it will not fundamentally change how politics um, runs in this country. It doesn't, uh, you know, vaccinations does not change the politics under like all the systems. Of, sorry, y'all. It does not change um, all the system, all the underlying reasons people get sick in the first place. Right. And so we really do need to start looking at addressing how do first of all recognize the system. You got to know that it's there. And most people want to deny it and call folks conspiracy theorists when you start talking about that there's a, something larger at play. So we first got to even notice that there is one. And then second, start looking at not how to put a Band-Aid on it, but how to dismantle the bitch. Like, it got to go. These things do not serve us. They do not serve our collective well-being to be continuously stuck in, in, the, in these feedback loops. All It's going to be more of the same. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter... Um, if everyone got the vaccine tomorrow, it will not change that the system is broken when it comes to our healthcare, when it comes to our food, when it comes to um, poverty, all of it's broken. Yes. And all of it leads back to um, power and control, capitalism, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So we have to start recognizing that these things are in play and start being willing to actually do something about it. And I think the reason people aren't and I don't want to say aren't, I, I think it feels so big. It feels so, it feels really, it feels, it feels really big and it feels really um, hard. And it's like, how do we even go? Like, how do we get started? What would it look like? You know, there's no prisons. Oh my God. All the rapers are going to be running around. Like they all, people always go to the worst case scenario because we are used to living in fear. And, and that's why I want us to get into the habit of um, reimagining these world, like this world and how we want it to look and feel and function. Because if you can't imagine it, then how can you ever strive for it? You know what I'm saying? So what are these new systems? What do they look like? What do they feel like? How do they make us feel? How do they function? We cannot use today's systems as like a place to start. It, it has to come from something completely different. And so what does that look like for y'all? Well, I'm glad you said that. And I like to close out with a solution segment um, where we offer some, some thoughts and ideas, you know, around solutions. And, you know, you, you teed it up nicely. Um, and as you know, this is uh, also a part of what I do with theory of my theory of indivisibility. Um, I believe that the theory of indivisibility framework that I created is a solution. Um, it is a, a blueprint you know, towards solutions. And, you know, um, I think that for anyone who's watching this who hasn't been exposed to my work, um, you know, you can get access to it through listening to my podcast, Theory of Indivisibility, uh, which can be found on all podcast platforms. 
Uh, you can visit my website, uh, Dr. Sunjata, drsunjata.com. Um, and I'll put that into the chat, as well as um, understanding that change and systems change is, is fractal and it's emergent. And we don't have to have these large sweeping actions. It can be literally the, the things that we do within our personal relationships that can go towards making the shift towards the changes that need to have happen in society. Like, for example, Yolanda and I have an authentic dialogue instead of having a, a debate. Debate is rooted in the power over and control. Debate as a communication framework is rooted in power over and control systems dynamics. Authentic dialogue is rooted in power with and collaboration systems dynamics. And a simple process, a simple commitment to having authentic dialogues with the people in your personal life can go a long way. And another solution that I'm going to recommend. I'm not going to because I'm going to pass it to Yolanda to do so because she is a facilitator for one of them and her work. So Yolanda, could you share? Any well, solutions? You, know, I, you know, I feel about parenting. Like I keep saying parenting, um, traditional parenting is rooted in power over and control. Um, I, I, I always get it wrong. Authoritative. Yes. Yes. Parenting. And mm -hmm. we, what we want to do is, is make shifts to being more conscious, more intentional parents that recognize the humanity in our children. Because once we do that, once we model for them how to communicate, how to have authentic dialogue, how to sh um, not shame and blame and take accountability, um, if we give them agency, if we speak to them with respect and treat, and treat them with respect and let them ask questions, these are gonna be people who grow up into adults and challenge the status quo. So, so you know, <laughs> she digging through the hair box right now it's like really right now so you know it really when i when i talk about this it feels big it feels really big to people because i'm always just like conscious parenting decolonizing parenting can change the world because it can literally change how the world functions and you know a few generations from now and that's that i know that i may not see you know, the, the fruits of my labor in, on a large scale, on a macro scale, scale, but I probably will see it just with the people around me, with my own daughter. And I pray that as um, more people catches on to the fact that parenting is not personal, that is, we are all interconnected, that parent, like, that we all are a collective you know, we're not individuals in this thing. We're in this team together. Once we realize that and start working together and pass it on to our kids, the world would just look completely different for them. And, and they will continue to pass that on. And it won't even be a thing that they have to learn. It's just who they are. Like yeah. that's the goal is to just sort of infuse this into their DNA. So they are just born that way. It is not a thing that they have to overcome. Like we're having to overcome some stuff to learn. Absolutely, it. absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Yolanda. Um, I really appreciate your time and being willing to have this conversation with me. How can people find you and your work? Thank you so much for having me. I'm super, I'm, you know, this, I'm not gonna lie, I was <laughs> nervous. And this is because, like I said, I don't talk about these things on my platform, you know, vaccinations, vaccines, all that stuff is such a heavy emotional topic. And um, I just don't have the spoons most of the time to do it. But I appreciate you joining me. Um, you having me 
and and allowing me to like have this conversation in such an open way. You can find me on parenttodecolonized.com as well as on Facebook at Parent to Decolonized. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, that handle is P-R-N-T-G-D-Colonized. Um, and I hope that I hope that this helped to really open up dialogue and expand some mind for some people. Awesome. And if you do get some time, if you can drop it in the chat for everyone who's watching on, on Facebook, and I'll do the same for anyone who, um, you know, is interested in this type of, these type of conversations of interrogating systems and talking about the current complexities, the evolutionary origins, but also the future and the solutions, because we cover it all uh, in the podcast. You know, I definitely recommend checking out Theory of, Indivisibility, of Indivisibility podcast. Um, so thanks for watching. For those of you who are on Facebook, thank you for listening. For those of you who are listening through the podcast platform. And once again, thank you, Yolanda. This will not be the last time that you all will hear from both of us uh, oh, collaborating. Yeah. And um, yes, we have some work to do together. But um, you have a good evening, Yolanda. And everyone else who's watching, have a good evening. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, y'all. I love, I love y'all. <laughs> Peace. Bye.